Johnson, as Carlos said, and I just am, uh, feel honored and privileged to be here today to share with you. Um, I've entitled our, our session today, today to Bellingham and Beyond. Uh, that's from a Toy Story where Buzz Lightyear says, to... <laughs> yes. And so just a little bit about myself. I'm married to Lloyd for 29 years. I have four grown children. Uh, two of them were in the earlier service, Krista, Jordan, Katie, and Kara. And I, by profession, I'm a licensed psychologist, which I have to say I never imagined that I would end up in that profession, and that's a God thing, and that's a whole other story. And I primarily work with those who have been abused, exploited, and victims of human trafficking. And I consider it such a privilege to work with these people who have gone through so much trauma, multiplicity of traumas, and that I get to see God work in their lives. And it is such a privilege. Um, currently, I serve as the International Program Director for an organization called Rescue Freedom International. And I'm also involved with other things, which you'll find out later. But I want to start by, by sharing a what-if story. This what-if story, i got to find my right place here. This what-if story is going to be about Bellingham. So let's say you, you grew up in Bellingham, you're born and raised here. Let's say Hillcrest was your home. You love it here. You have, it's like family. I know there's a lot of you from other states, but let's just imagine it. So you're here, you love it, but you move away to another state, maybe another country. But while you're away, you hear that there's been some problems in Bellingham. And you hear that, let's say, there was a, a natural disaster. There was an earthquake, and there was fires and all sorts of things. And you hear that, that here, Hillcrest Chapel, some of the walls have fallen down, some of the doors have been burnt, and the church is kind of a disaster. And how are you going to react? You'll be overwhelmed. You'll be dis, uh, discouraged. You'll say, oh, oh, my gosh, that's my home. It's my home church. It's the people I know. And you'll want to do something. You'll say, you know, I'm going to get a ticket. I'm going to go back to Bellingham, see what I can do. Is there anything I can do? I want to encourage them. I want to support them. I want, I want to do something. And so you come back and you rally people from Ferndale and Everson and maybe some people down in, in, uh, over in Spokane or down in Everett and maybe some people from some other states and you say, come on. Maybe there are people that have been from Bellingham or they just want to help. And people come from all over, and you say, okay, we need someone to help with here, someone to paint here, and okay, right. And you just get it done. And instead of the problems and the devastation, wow, the church is rebuilt, and people feel like they're a family again. And okay, we feel more secure, and we've got a place. That's a what-if story. <laughs> but you know, take away the natural disaster part of it and all that happened, and you know, it's the same thing. Bellingham is in problems. Our local community, we have in the schools, we have bullying, we got drugs. Our youth are, are prolifically using pornography and not just youth. Our communities are filled with broken families and people that are hurting. Abuse, neglect, drug use, alcohol. It may not be an earthquake and fires, but we are a community. And we're not the only community that has problems. Let's look at Nehemiah 1, in case some of you recognized it. It's going to be our text today. And I, I have to say, I love the book of Nehemiah. There's so many different ways you could study it. 
But the way we're going to look at it today is from missions, from a local missions perspective, but also some global perspective. We're going to start in Nehemiah 1, and it says, the words of Nehemiah, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, so I questioned them about what was going on with the Jewish remnant and, and who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem or Bellingham or wherever you're from. And they said to me, oh, oh my goodness, those who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. Now, what would be your response? It's like I asked in my hypothetical example of Bellingham. What would have been your response? What do you think was Nehemiah's response? So verse 4 tells us. It says, he, he sat down. I've got to sit down. Oh, my gosh. This is overwhelming. He sat, sat down and he wept. And he mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. One of the ways I would love to study Nehemiah is just to look at all of his prayers. They're just great. And this prayer, what he says, he prays to God. He finds out about this devastation and the problems, and then he prays. And what he prays is, he's, first of all, he says, I praise you, God, because you are a great God. You are a loving God. And then he says, okay, we need to confess. Your people have disobeyed. We've sinned. We've done wrong. And then the last part of his prayer is help us. Help me know what to do. Help me as I go to my boss and ask permission to leave and go back to my home country and my home people and help. That was his prayer. Three parts. I love that. So that's how he prayed. So then Nehemiah 2, that was one. Nehemiah 2, he goes and asks his boss permission, which happened to be a king from another country. And then he says, okay. And he takes off and goes back where the problem is. He goes back to his people. And it says, when he gets there, he says, I went out examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken, broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I said to the leaders, he assessed the situation. Then he met with the leaders, and he said, do you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem is in ruin, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild. And the leaders said, no way. That's too big. It's too overwhelming. There's too many problems. Yeah, let someone else do it. Fortunately, that's not what they said, and you have it in front of you. So it said, what did everyone say? Let's read it together. Let us start rebuilding. And Nehemiah says in verse 30, he says, God will give us success. Now, chapter 3, I'm putting it up here. I know you can't read it, but just as an example... So chapter 3 lists all the different people that, uh, that got involved, that were enlisted to help rebuild the wall and help with the problem. And so the whole book is like that. It says, so-and-so helped repair this, and this person helped rebuild this, and this person helped repair this. And it's just a whole list. And sometimes it would tell their role or who they are or their relationship, but most of the time it was a name and they repaired. In fact, the word repaired, I don't know if you can see it up there, repair or repairs, was listed 37 times. The words build, built, rebuild is listed 12 times in the verses. And what's wonderful about this section of Nehemiah is that it, it lists the people that helped. And so we read that the repairs were made by high priest, quite a few priests, 
um, Levites, temple servants, rulers, and it listed rulers from a bunch of different places in the area. It would be like Ferndale or Blaine, Linden, things like that. Um, and it also listed and men from, from these different cities, these different areas that had come in to help. It also listed sons of, daughters of. There was perfume make, makers. There was goldsmiths. There was merchants, businessmen from different places. And the thing is, not everybody, it didn't list everybody's relationship or job or things. But what it says to me is Nehemiah enlisted all types of people with all types of skill levels. He used men and women, young and old, people with various professions and skills and expertise. And he used some people that were local and some people that came from the surrounding areas and maybe from other lands as well. And to me, this says too that God wants to use you and he wants to use me. This isn't just a Bible story for us to read about, but I think it also can serve as an encouragement to us to serve. So I think we can help locally, as in Bellingham and beyond. Amen? Okay, I'm back in America. Okay, last week, I have to tell you this. You know, God is so funny. And the thing is, God can use any of us and all of us. So last week, a week ago today, I was in Spain preaching. That's funny. Because of my Spanish. So uh, it was great, though, because in the front row, we had two people, one with mics. One was going to be the reader. Anytime there was something up there, you know, a scripture verse, the one person with this gorgeous radio voice would read it. And then the other person, if I didn't know the word in Spanish, I'd look at her and then say it in English, and then she had the mic to say it. So it, it flowed. But I think God has such a great sense of humor. But it also illustrates that he wants to use all of us, and he can. I've seen people with first aid certificates do medical work overseas. I've seen people who have never delivered a baby deliver babies. And God wants to use us in different ways. So what about us? Some of us are the Nehemiahs, the people with the vision, the leaders, the pioneers, the planners. And some of us are the wall builders, right? We're going to be there helping. Hey, I'll help do whatever, whenever. And some of us will serve locally, and some of us will serve globally or internationally. But I feel I can't just say, yes, go for it. This is great. I think we also need to take a, a look at what about us, what keeps us from serving. And I've listed just a few things. First one is our insecurities and inadequacies. We're not serving. We're not going out. We're not doing things because we feel, oh, I, I don't have the skills, the abilities. Oh, God can't use me. Another reason is because of our sins. Maybe we're tempted. Maybe we have an addiction to porn or something else. And we're, we just say, I can't serve God. I've got too much shame and dark secrets. Another reason might be you're just too busy. I've got too much going on. And maybe it's because we don't fully understand that God wants us to go out and serve and do and help, to not hold back. So I just want to state that, that it's not just, yeah, go do it. But I think we need to also identify what's keeping you from doing it. I know there's so many people caught up in, in addictions and temptations and problems who feel that aren't 
aren't there serving God wholeheartedly because part of their heart is pulled away. What I like to say is we need to all find our lane. It's not one cookie cutter. When I think of the term finding your lane, I think of it as, okay, we're on a trip here to serve God, but my path is going to be over here. Your path is over there. So find your route and find your lane, where you're going. And it might be this route to get there, but it might be also that you have, um, I'm going to be in the slow lane here, and then I'm going to need to merge over here, and I'm whatever. But we need to find our lane. And what I mean by that is who and where and what are you called to do? So where are you called to here, to Bellingham, or are you called beyond? Where are you called to serve, and are you doing it? The second one is who. Maybe you have a heart for little kids or the old elderly, or you have a heart for a certain population. But the main thing is just to go. And lastly, it's what. There's so many areas. I mean, you know, my area is, okay, it's kind of human trafficking, sex trafficking, all of that. But there's people needed for tutoring and mentoring and serving and doing so many other things. There's people that are interested in the teaching or discipleship. There's people interested in, in social services. Some of you know my daughter, Kara, who sings up here sometimes. And uh, she's leaving in two weeks. We just found out this week she got accepted as a, uh, a job because she has a heart for the, the people that are uh, in poverty and and discriminated, and she wants to do something. She has a heart, and so she's moving to Alabama. <laughs> so you see her, you can say hi and goodbye and all that. And <laughs> I'm going to miss her. I have another daughter. Okay, I'll get away from the personal stuff. But I have another daughter that's moving to China. You know, they're answering the call of where God's sending them, and I just want to encourage you to do the same. It's all about God. He's the one that calls and enables, and equips us. Amen. All right. Let's all say that. Amen. Okay, great. It's important to find our lane. So now I want to take a little time and talk about some international ways we can get involved. We can donate items and goods. We can donate our time, donate money. We can donate our expertise, and there's always need for prayer. There's also so many ways to get involved, whether it's bookkeeping, office help, event planning, cooking, providing meals, transportation, office help. Some of these are directly from some of the ministries I've mentioned. And this is just touching the surface. There's so many ways to say, oh, there's no way I can help. I have no skills is incorrect. God can use anyone. So let's return to Nehemiah as we summarize our time. Learn from Nehemiah that God can use anybody. God wants to use anybody, regardless of their background. We can be the Nehemiahs, those pioneers and planners. We might be the wall builders. We might come locally or serve abroad. But the thing is, God wants to use us. Hillcrest Faith Promise, are, there's a banner outside and on, on your, uh, what do you call it, bulletin, that says, any place, any price, so all can hear. And that's our encouragement. We don't want people to feel guilty, but it's any place. God, wherever you send me, I'm willing to say yes. Any price of my time, my money, my energy, my resources. Okay, whatever it takes, Lord, I'm in. 
Or do we say, no way, no thanks. <laughs> so that others can hear. It might be that they need to hear words of restoration and healing and hope. It might be that they need evangelism and people to tell them about the Lord directly with those gifts. There's so many areas that we can serve and be involved. There's one thing I didn't share. It comes from Nehemiah 3.20 and that long list of all the people and what they did. There was one time in that long list that said, so-and-so zealously repaired the wall and went on. It was Baruch or something like that. And I, when I read that, I thought, it only said it one time in all that list. And I thought, that's how I want to be. That's my goal. That's my desire. That as I serve God, I would do it zealously with my whole heart. And that's my prayer for each one of us here today as well. That we serve the Lord zealously. So let's read once again together from Nehemiah 2. When Nehemiah said, Come, let us rebuild. And they replied, Let us And what did they do? They began the good work. The good work. Lord, thank you that you go with us, you go before us. Whether you send us locally or globally, we want to say yes. And we thank you that you are with us. Lord, I pray against the hindrances. I pray that people would be free to serve you wholeheartedly and zealously. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. You have a place for each of us. And you want to use us and you equip us. And you're the one that works through us. We're just the conduit. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said with a loud, Amen. Amen.